Hi. We are glad that you're here today. There was supposed to be a little video before the sermon, so that's what kind of I was waiting for, but <laughs> didn't show up. So here I am, right? So we're glad, and this is way too far back, hold on. We are glad that you're here this evening. And uh, for those of folks who are gonna be watching uh, online, we're glad that you're joining us too. It's a great option to uh, catch what's going on here and to be a part of uh, what's going on here at Whitewater Crossing. So again, we're glad that you're here. And as you know, hopefully you already know, it's Memorial Day weekend, right? We're heading into that and kind of the official start of summer. So I hope you have some good plans uh, to gather together with some family and friends and just take time to enjoy and do some reflecting. You know what I've noticed when it comes to Memorial Day weekend, um, it usually centers a lot around food. It just kind of does, like most of our holidays do, right? So this one, it's hamburgers and brats and dogs, and maybe you're gonna throw on some ribs or pork chops or steak, or oh man, I'm getting hungry, just <laughs> thinking about that. Uh, but I wanna start by thinking about some food, um, specifically a, a food that has some significance for me. And that food is chicken cacciatore. I'm not Italian, my family's not Italian, but that has some significance in my family. How many of you have had chicken cacciatore in your life? A few of you, all right, good, yeah. Well, for me, when I was growing up, we would go to church on Sunday morning and be my, my mom and dad and my sister and I. And after church, we'd drive about 20 minutes north and uh, we'd get to my Nana's apartment. That's what we called grandma, we called her Nana. So we would get to Nana's apartment and as soon as you walked in the door, man, that smell just hit you. It was chicken cacciatore. Like every time we went there Sunday after church, that's the meal that we had. I don't think we went every Sunday, but every Sunday we went there, that was what we had, chicken cacciatore. And I can still picture in my mind, man, this was like a long time ago. And I probably haven't eaten chicken cacciatore in like 35 years. But I can still picture my mom, my, my Nana's dining room and her little table and the little chairs. And her dining room kind of flowed into her living room. And my Nana was a big sports fan. And I grew up in Southern New Hampshire. And so on Sunday afternoons, if the Boston Red Sox were playing, she'd have it on the TV. I mean, you know, you remember the old days, just, I think for a while it was black and white even, right? You had the old screens and it was black and white. And then if it was an out of that baseball season, sometimes she'd have the Boston Bruins on. Now I can have no memory of watching the Boston Celtics with my nan. I don't know if she ever watched basketball, but she really liked baseball and hockey. And so whenever I think about kitchen, chicken cacciatore, I think about my nana. I think about eating at her little table and watching sports, just talking and sharing that time together. It's good, it's good, but it's not really about the food, right? That positive memory I have is about the relationships and about the time that we shared around that table together. It's not really about the food. In fact, I don't have a memory of liking chicken cacciatore. So I don't even know if I liked it. But if somebody mentions that or if I got that smell, it would connect back to my Nana and the time that I got to share there growing up. Well, we're in the midst of a series called, Did Jesus Really Say That? And we're looking at some really difficult sayings of Jesus, right? And it's interesting, the one we're gonna look at today, when Jesus says these words to the Jewish people there, that original audience, John tells us as he records this teaching, he tells us that their reaction was, this is a hard teaching. <laughs> this is a hard teaching. So we're gonna to try to unpack it and make some sense out tonight and hopefully be encouraged through that. So uh, listen to this hard teaching of Jesus, John chapter six, beginning in verse 53. Jesus said to them, the Jewish folks there, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. 
Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died. But whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue of Capernaum. Man, I read that and go, really? Like three times he says there, you gotta eat my flesh and drink my blood. That's, I mean, that's, that's gross, right? These words that Jesus speaks, they're graphic. They're shocking. They're stunning. Right? In fact, this was, I found one preacher wrote about this text. He said, in fact, I pretty much avoided John chapter six during my 15 plus years in ministry because I was uncomfortable with this. <laughs> he just ignored this chapter because he didn't want to deal with the messiness of what Jesus is communicating here. But in this series, as we've been doing with the other message, Jesus really said this. So we need to pay attention. There's something here for us if we will try to make sense and be able to make sense out of what he says. So what does he mean? And what's it got to do with me? Well, whenever we're trying to understand the Bible, right, one of the key ideas, the key rules of interpreting scripture is to look at the context. Context is crucial. Context is crucial when we're trying to understand Jesus' teaching or any biblical teaching. In fact, I was gonna say context is king, but then I thought, well, you have a Jesus is king. I don't wanna mix up that metaphor. So we'll just say context is crucial. Okay, now what's context? Context is paying attention to what's happening around the thing that you're looking at, right? Context is doing the five W's, right? Who, what, when, where, why. What's going on in this situation around the thing that I'm looking at? I thought of it this way. I like, um, whew, like millions and maybe, you know, 90% of America, I don't know, but a lot of people in America over the last month or so have seen the movie Avengers Endgame. Okay, so I went to see it, I enjoyed it, right? it's a good movie. But the thing with that movie is, it's built on 21 other movies. So like you could go to Avengers Endgame and go, yeah, that was kinda cool. But you're really not gonna understand the context of Avengers Endgame unless you have some familiarity with all these other movies that preceded it. Right, because there's stuff in the first Iron Man movie that helps you make sense out of something that happens in Avengers Endgame. So context is crucial. Right, again, you can go see the movie and probably enjoy some of the action scenes and enjoy the, what they're portraying. But if you're really gonna get the context of Avengers Endgame, you gotta look at everything that preceded and everything going around, what's going on around there. That's true about Jesus. So we have this weird teaching of Jesus where he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And so we wanna say, what's going on around this? Right? What's happening? Who is, who is involved here? What's happening? Why does Jesus say this? And how do we make sense out of it? So John chapter six is a long chapter, okay? In fact, it's one of the longest chapters in the New Testament. So I don't have time to read through all of it this evening. But if you have a Bible app on your smartphone or if you have a paper Bible, but if you have a Bible app, I'd encourage you to pull, the, pull out your Bible app Get to John chapter six and just leave it open, okay? Because I'm gonna be jumping around a little bit. We'll have the verses on the screens as well. But I'd encourage you to pull out your version or a Bible app and follow along here in John chapter six. So we wanna look at the context of John six. Now the chapter starts off with Jesus feeding 5,000 plus people on a hillside by the Sea of Galilee. Very famous story, right? It's recorded in all four gospels, the only miracle 
recorded in all four Gospels. And maybe you're familiar with the story, right? Jesus has been teaching all day. It's getting toward the evening, right? They don't have food, so the people need to eat. He says to his apostles, you give them something to eat, and they go, Jesus, we can't do this, right? And Jesus says, what do you have, right? And uh, there's a little boy with five small loaves of bread and two fish, right? Jesus breaks those, prays, breaks the bread, breaks the fish. They start passing out, and the food multiplies, right? It's amazing. It's an amazing miracle. The people enjoy this bread, right? And they enjoy the fish. In fact, there's leftovers. There's so much food, right? Jesus does this amazing miracle. So right after that, because of this miracle, the people there want to declare him their new king. Okay, that's what it says in John 6, 14 and 15. After people saw the sign, right, that's what John calls miracles, a sign, because it points to Jesus. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who's to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So Jesus performs this amazing miracle where he multiplies bread, feeds everybody to a little full, gives them this amazing free meal, and then Jesus says, okay, I'm done, and he walks away. Like he literally just walks away from this scene, right? And the people are like, where'd he go? (laughs) Right, because he just walks away, because he's not going to allow them to exalt him or elevate him as king. It's not his time for that to happen. So right after that story, the disciples of Jesus, his apostles, they get into a boat on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and they're gonna cross the lake. So Jesus is kind of walking around the Sea of Galilee, which is really a big lake, and the apostles are in a boat now, and they're crossing over in the boat. And again, it's evening time, so they're crossing in the middle of the night. They're about halfway out into the lake, you've probably heard this story too, and they see something strange. It looks like there's a guy walking on the water, okay? And I wonder if they were like poking each other. Do you see what I see? Right, because this is not normal. And sure enough, right, if you read the text, it's Jesus walking on the water on the Sea of Galilee. And so they're a little freaked out by that. They're a little amazed and shocked by that. But he gets in the boat with them, and then they get over to Capernaum, right, on the other side of the lake. Now, while that's happening, right, the crowd, who's just had this amazing miracle, they've gotten all this free food from Jesus, they're like, man, we got to find out where that guy went, and we got to follow him, and we got to see what else he's going to do. And so they start walking around the Sea of Galilee too. And most of them walk all night long, right? And they walk around the Sea of Galilee. And so they end up in the city of Capernaum too. So all these people are here who got great free meal from Jesus and they wanna see what he's gonna do next. So that leads into a conversation for the rest of John chapter six about bread and eating and flesh and life and heaven and God and man and all this stuff, right? But it's all built upon this miracle that Jesus did of feeding the 5,000 people. Now let me talk about bread for a second. Especially in the first century, bread was what we would call a staple. It was essential to life, right? Everybody ate bread in first century. I know a bunch of us have diets where you're not supposed to eat bread, I understand, okay? But in the first century Israel, everybody ate bread. Why? Because it was pretty easy to make, right? You just need a little bit of grain, you grind up the grain, add some water, a little yeast, maybe some salt, a couple other spices, right? It's easy to make, and it's pretty easy to bake. If you have a flat stone that you can put on top of a fire, you can bake it right there on on a stone, right? Some people had little fire pits. They would literally kind of throw the bread up against the side of the fire pit, let it bake there, scrape it off, voila, you got a piece of bread, right? So it's easy to make, it's easy to bake in the first century. So everybody ate bread. Probably every day, everybody ate bread, 
okay? It was essential to life. Jesus knew this, so again, he provides bread for them. But right before this difficult teaching, listen to what he says in John 6, 51. He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And then he goes into this difficult teaching where he says three times, you have to eat my flesh and you have to drink my blood. Now see, as we've looked at in this series, Jesus occasionally uses different uh, language techniques of hyperbole, exaggeration, metaphor, or simile to illustrate his teaching. And in some cases, when Jesus does that, he unpacks it and really kind of helps his hearers understand what he means. Other times, he doesn't do that. And so his hearers are like, I don't really get it. (laughs) I I don't understand. And Jesus just walks away. (laughs) That's what happens here. Jesus doesn't really unpack this for people and make it abundantly clear what he's saying when he says, you have to eat my flesh and you have to drink my blood. But what he does do in this teaching is he gives us some clues to help us figure out what he means by that. So we're gonna look at a few of those clues. So back up a little bit if you're, um, you're gonna scroll down if you're on your phone to John 6, 27. John 6, 27, I have to turn back a page. And here's what Jesus says. Do not work for food, right? So he's talking about food. Now once the people find him on the other side of the lake, it's all about the food. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And so the people are already starting to get confused and going, okay, I don't know what that food is, but he connected it to work. So the people ask him, okay, then tell me what kind of work we're supposed to be doing that's connected to this food that doesn't spoil. So here's what Jesus says in 629. The work of God is this. This is the work of God. And again, it's connected to this food that doesn't spoil. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So Jesus says it's about belief. Right? Now, if you jump down to verse 36, Jesus says in this text, but as I told you, you've seen me and still you do not believe. Right? So Jesus is condemning them because they're not believing. So again, he connects this food and the work stuff to believing, and now he says you don't believe. And then we look down in verse 47. He makes a similar statement in verse 47. Very truly I tell you, I, I'm sorry, very truly I tell you, the one who believes, there it is again, has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the man in the wilderness yet died, but here's bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone can eat and not die. I am the living bread. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. That's verse 51. So Jesus, in this passage of scripture, it's all about food and eating, And as so often the case for Jesus, he uses a physical object and a physical action to actually talk about a spiritual action and a spiritual truth. So in this text, when he says, eat my flesh, he also said, I'm living bread. So he connects living bread with his flesh, and then he says, I'm going to give my flesh for the life of the world. And there's something about eating or believing right, that brings us to eternal life. So for Jesus, believing is eating. Eating is believing. Drinking 
Eat my flesh, drink my blood. Drinking is believing, right? So here's how this works. I know it's, it's just confusing, but here's how this works. The people understood that we have to eat bread for physical life. So Jesus comes along and says, well, do you want spiritual life? Then you need to eat of me because I'm living bread. I'm living, I have come down from heaven, I'm heavenly bread. He says, I'm the bread of life. So he's making a connection with the people who understand that they need physical bread. And he's trying to help them understand you need spiritual bread, and that's me. But for the poor Jews, the poor Jews, they don't get this. And one of the reasons they don't get this, and honestly they can't get this, is because they don't know what's coming yet for Jesus. So when he says to them, my flesh, I'm gonna give my flesh for the life of the world, we know, because we can interpret that, that he's referring to the cross. That he's going to give his flesh on the cross, and it's gonna provide spiritual life for all those who would believe, who would eat of his flesh. But the Jews don't know that. So this is why in verse six, uh, 60 of chapter six, they say, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Because they don't know about the cross yet. But we live on the other side of the cross, so we get to make that application. He's not talking about physical bread. He's talking about spiritual bread. We also get that in, in, indication from the gospel writer John, because the word he uses for eat or eating is a singular action. Right? When we think of uh, the verb eating in English, right, it means ongoing action. But the word that John uses in the original language is a singular action, meaning it refers to that moment when we believe. We believe what Jesus is teaching. We believe who he is and what he has to say. I love what well-known theologian J.R. Packer wrote. He said, the reference Jesus made to eating his flesh and drinking his blood is a metaphorical way of describing the person who draws on, claims, or lays hold of the reality of his sacrifice by putting personal faith in him. Dr. Packer wrote, we constantly have to come back to that. So eating is believing. Eating is believing for Jesus. He's making a metaphor because the people had already eaten of physical bread. And now he wants them to eat of spiritual bread which is his flesh. It's only after, though, the cross that the Jewish folks begin to understand what he was teaching here in John chapter six. Now, what does Jesus want us to believe? We need to believe two things, who he is and what he's done. That's what he's asking us to believe. Believe in who he is and what he's done. And when we do that, we're eating the living bread that is his flesh. We have to believe in who he is. Well, even from this narrative, who is Jesus? Well, this Jesus says, I've been sent from God. I am the heavenly bread that has come down. That's who he is. He's of God, he's from God. He's the bread of life, he says. That's who he is, right? We know, again, this is a metaphor. He's not actually a loaf of bread. He's the bread of life. So we have to believe in who he is, that he was sent from God, that he is the heavenly provision for spiritual life for anyone who would believe in him. So he's asking us to do. And when we believe this, we are eating, metaphorically speaking, his flesh and drinking of his blood. Now what has he done for us, according to this narrative? He's given his flesh for the life of the world, right? He's gone to the cross. He's laid down his life. 
And that sacrifice provides life to everyone who would believe him. What else has he done? Well, this text tells us that he's gonna give eternal life to everyone who believes him. This is amazing to me. If he really is the son of God come down from heaven who died on a cross so that the whole world could have life through him, right? Then he has everything available to him that God has to offer. And yet to all those who would come to him, he says, I'm gonna share all that with you. That's eternal life, right? Jesus has it and he gives it and he shares the inheritance with everyone who would believe in him. Now there's another aspect that Jesus brings out about what he's done in John chapter six. Again, I'd encourage you to read through that chapter at some point. But he makes some statements that teach us that one of the things in addition to the cross that he's done is that everyone who comes to him, he will receive them. Right? Anyone who wants to eat his spiritual flesh, his living bread, right, will be received by Jesus. This is awesome. David talked a little bit about this last week in his message on the unpardonable sin. Right? Whoever wants to come to Jesus and believe and trust in who he is and what he's done, you are received by Jesus. Right? Look, there are a lot of, I don't know, organizations and clubs in this world that honestly, I couldn't get into. <laughs> I wouldn't have enough money, I wouldn't have enough connections, I wouldn't have enough education, right? There's lots of clubs and organizations that would be excluded to me, right? Even like when I go on a trip and I go to the airport and I walk by and it says, the Admiral's Club. I don't know how you get into the Admiral's Club at the airport, right? That sounds nice. I probably don't have the right credit card or I don't know what it is. I don't even know how you get in the club, right? So I could knock on the door and say, I'm sorry, you're not welcome in this club. That's not how it is with Jesus. Everybody who comes to him, he has arms are open wide and he says, come, I receive you. That's what he's done, right? So we believe in who he is and we believe in what he has done. And when we believe that and when we trust in who he is and we trust in what he's done, it's as if we're eating his flesh and drinking his blood. See, this whole account in John chapter six especially verse 51, where he says, I will give my flesh for the life of the, of the world. This whole passage in that verse in particular is pointing to the cross. Again, he knows that. His audience doesn't know that yet, which is why some say, again, it's a hard teaching. And some of them, as we read further in John 6, says some of those who had been following him stopped following him. So they just didn't get it. They didn't understand what he meant about eating my flesh and drinking my blood. He was talking about the cross. But again, they didn't know that at this point in time. But we do, we do. And so we have the privilege of coming to the cross and acknowledging that yes, he gave his flesh for the life of the world. But you know what I want you to think about tonight and I wanna encourage you to think about, I'll give you an example here in a minute, is I, it's, it's one thing to say Jesus gave his flesh for the life of the world. But it's a really different thing to say Jesus gave his flesh for the life of me, right? The cross has something for me, and it does for you too. I was at a little church uh, late last year. They asked me to come preach on, on a weekend. We're a little rural church, uh, yeah, rural church up in Ohio, like 50 people there. And um, a little more traditional service at that church. And so they had one of the elders who was doing what uh, would be called a communion meditation. 
All right, some of you who grew up going to church, you remember those. It's kind of a little devotional, three to five minute devotional before you serve communion. And in that communion meditation, he made the statement that has stuck with me uh, since I heard it. His statement was, whatever you need can be found at the cross. And I've reflected on that a lot. And I've thought about it a lot. And I think there's a lot of truth there. So I don't know what you all came into the service this evening with. I don't know what you're burdened by. I don't know what your struggles are. But I do know that the cross provides some perspective and some assurances. So maybe you came in tonight and maybe you have some guilt about something. You've done something and you knew it was wrong. You hurt somebody. You just messed up. And man, that's a weight. When we have guilt, it's a weight. But what happens when I look at the cross? Ah, my guilt is nailed to Jesus' flesh. When I look at the cross, I'm reminded, yeah, forgiveness. Jesus paid for my guilt, so I don't have to carry that. Or maybe you're like me, I've struggled most of my life with some rejection issues and those little voices in my head that say, you're not good enough, you're not smart enough. I mean, I'm sure nobody else in this room has heard those little voices, right? What do we see when we look at the cross? Jesus' arms open wide saying, I think you're so great, I'm gonna die for you. I think you're so valuable and lovable and worthy, I'm gonna take the nails for you. He gave his flesh for the life of the world, but he gave his flesh for your life, right? We need bread for physical life, right? Even tonight's supper, we had buns, bread, right? We need spiritual bread for spiritual life. And that spiritual bread is this flesh that he gave on the cross for your life and for mine. I had a guy uh, not that long ago here at church, I was working during the week and um, one of our other staff said, James, there's somebody here who, uh, he just wants to talk to a pastor. I said, okay, that's fine. And so he came into my office and we talked for a little while and man, his life is just falling apart. My heart breaks for this guy. And at one point in the conversation, he said to me, I don't, I don't have any hope. And I thought, oh, what do we get when we look at the cross? Jesus is overcome, right? Maybe today is a bad day. Maybe the future doesn't look great. But you know what? He gave his flesh for life. Life now and eternal life. A better day is ahead because of the cross. There's always reason to have hope because of the cross, always. Again, I don't know what your need is tonight, but I believe we can find help and hope, forgiveness and acceptance at the cross. Now this passage of scripture that's a difficult and hard teaching, eat my blood, eat my flesh, drink my blood often is connected in people's minds with the Lord's Supper. Now that makes sense 
because of what Jesus says. But this passage in John chapter 6 is not him instituting or starting the Lord's Supper. That happens later on in his ministry. But when he does that, later on in his ministry, right before he's going to go to the cross, he uses that same type of language. Right? He said he breaks some bread off, he gives it to his apostles, and says, this is my body, given for you. Take and eat. <laughs> right? It's the same language that we have here in John 6. So it's very uh, natural for us to link this passage of Scripture with the Lord's Supper because of that common thread of eating and drinking. And so tonight we are going to as we do every time we gather together, participate in the Lord's Supper. And I'm gonna ask the servers to come at this time, and they're gonna hand out the elements of communion. It's a stack of two cups, if you're here regularly, you know that. And I'm gonna ask you to take a stack and hold on to them. And I'm gonna ask you to hold on to them a little longer than usual tonight before I lead us in taking those elements. Because what I get from this passage of scripture and other things that Jesus talks about is that this time is not really about what's in the cup. It's kind of like chicken cacciatore. It wasn't really about that. Right, it was about me being with my family, making memories, and having meaningful conversation. In fact, I had this crazy idea I think there were some people on our staff that would have been okay with this, but as I thought about it some more, I thought, oh, I don't think I could do this. It's too risky. I'm not a risky guy. My crazy idea was that when we passed communion at the service, the cups would be empty. Because we could still remember Jesus, even if the cups were empty. Because it's a little cracker and it's a little cup of juice. The eating his flesh and drinking his blood is about our trust and our faith in him. But those little elements help us. They help us to have a little cracker and have a little cup of juice. I thought of it this way. I could take off my wedding ring, put it in my pocket. Guess what? I'm still married. <laughs> but the wedding ring helps me because it reminds me, oh, there's a wonderful woman who said yes to me. And it tells everybody else in the world, I got a wonderful woman and I'm married. So the elements help us. And when we eat this cracker and we drink this little cup, we testify, I believe Jesus is who he said he is and I believe in what he's done on the cross and I believe it's given life to me. Oh, we could remember Jesus without the elements, but they help us to remember him. So we pause to remember. Really, that's what this in our country, that's what this weekend's about, isn't it? Memorial Day weekend. The whole country pauses, right? Everybody gets the day off on Monday, or most everybody. Any kids in school, they get the day off from school, right? We all pause. What for? To remember, to remember men and women who sacrificed so that we could be free, so that we could be secure, so that we could enjoy all that we enjoy in our country. We pause to remember. That's what we do every time we have communion. We pause and we remember. And we remember it's not really about this cracker and it's not really about the cup of juice. It's about relationships. 
It's about my relationship with Jesus. And it's about my relationships with all of you. Because we're taking this together. So if you believe in Jesus and you believe in what he's done on the cross, right? And we take this together, do you know what? I'm your brother in Christ. You're my brother in Christ. You're my sister in Christ. We're family. And we're gathered around the table sharing time together. When I think about communion as well, it's about the memories. Man, I think about all the times that I had asked Jesus to forgive me. I think about all the time that I didn't have much hope. And then he reminded me how much he lost me. And then I think about, this one chokes me up too. I think about all the meaningful times I've had communion in the past. I've been privileged to have communion literally all over the world. I've had it in Jerusalem. I've had communion on a mountaintop in Montana. I've had it along Quiet Lake in the state of Maine. I remember when my oldest child was born. She was born on a Friday. I was the preacher of a little church then, and so I was at church on Sunday. Didn't have to preach, but I had to be there. <laughs> and communion came. And I thought, Jesus died for my two-day-old little girl. I remember that. It's not really about the cracker. It's not really about the juice. It's about relationships. It's about memories. It's about the meaning of the meal, that he loved you enough and he loved me enough to give his flesh for the life of the world. So when he does institute the Lord's Supper, he says to his apostles, this is my body, take and eat in remembrance of me. Let us do that together. And then he took the cup and he said, this is, this is a new covenant in my blood. Take and drink it, every one of you, in remembrance of me. Let's do that. Lord Jesus, As that original audience said, it's a hard teaching. But I believe with all my heart you were communicating to us that if we want spiritual life, if we want eternal life, we have to believe and trust in who you are and what you've done on the cross. And Lord, we do. We do. And so we just thank you. We thank you for the gift of your flesh, the gift of your blood. And we thank you that we're part of a church that intentionally remembers every time we gather to pause and to take a little cracker and a small cup of juice to remind us that we believe. We thank you for the relationship that we have with you and with one another. We thank you for the memories of all the times in the past that you have loved us and forgiven us, accepted us when we felt rejected and alone. 
And we thank you that we have opportunity through our faith to eat your flesh and to drink your blood. Thank you, Jesus, for all you've given to us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Just got a couple quick announcements before we let you go for this evening. In about a month, I'm very excited about this. We're very excited about this around Whitewater. We're going to host a pretty special day that we call Solve 7 Sunday. And uh, if you were part of that last year, you know it's a really cool experience. So we, don't have, uh, we won't have our normal Sunday service on Sunday, June 23rd. Rather, we're going to have a whole bunch of uh, projects uh, all around the campus and some off campus where we are serving people and helping to address our Solve 7 issues. Um, in preparation of that, uh, we have a Solve 7 prayer calendar. And so if you'd be willing to pray... Uh, over the next month or so for our Solve 7 Sunday. I would encourage you, you can pick these up as you leave the worship center this evening. And uh, you can just start this weekend on day number one and just each day just offer a prayer for our upcoming Solve 7 Sunday. Also, as we do each uh, service, we're going to have a couple of folks available for prayer team. If there's something you need prayer for this evening, we would be honored and privileged to uh, be able to pray with you this evening. So just come on up and we'll meet you and do that. Also, if you're brand new here, we are so glad you're here. We'd love to meet you for what we call the three after, right over at the flag over there to my right, your left. And uh, I think John, our worship leader for tonight, is going to be over there, and there might be some other staff there too. We'd love to meet you as well. Now, this, is, uh, this message was the last in our Did Jesus Really Say That series? And uh, so we got another short series that's going to start next week. And the name of that series is Plastic Donuts. It's based on a book that's called Plastic Donuts. Hmm, intriguing, isn't it? So make sure you come back next week and uh, you'll find out why we're going to be talking about plastic donuts. So thank you for being here this evening. You have a great Memorial Day weekend and pause to remember. Thanks for coming. Hey, again, thanks for joining us online today. You'll see links in the notes or the comments section to be able to let us know who you are if you're newer around here and to give generously online if you call Whitewater home. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.